This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here again is Dan Loney. Welcome back. Hour number two of Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. While many security experts believe that the next world war will most likely involve cyberspace, considering the numbers of hacks and cyber attacks we hear about in the news, as well as attacks that impact critical infrastructure like hospitals and banks, all of these events can carry real-world impact. This activity, by the way, is taking place in what the Pentagon calls the fifth domain. A new book looks at how we must think about protecting all of these critical elements. Richard Clark is the co-author of the book titled The Fifth Domain, Defending Our Country, Our Companies, and Ourselves in the Age of Cyber Threats, along with Robert Nake. Clark spent 30 years in the U.S. government, including as a White House counterterrorism coordinator under Presidents Clinton and George W. Bush. And he was the first White House official to be in charge of U.S. cybersecurity. And he joins us here in our studio as a Penn graduate. Nice to have you back on campus. Yeah, it's good to be back on campus. It looks a heck of a lot better than when I was there. <laughs> well, we see instances right now, it feels like we're on politicians on Capitol don't seem to have an understanding of some of these threats. That, to me, I guess, with all that we see going around, is somewhat inexcusable. How do you feel about it? Well, I think it varies. There are, there are congressmen that get this very, very well. I think Congressman Langevin from uh, Rhode Island, Congressman McCall from Texas. Uh, there are people who understand it. Uh, there's just not a consensus to spend at the level that we need mm-hmm. to secure the government itself. What we learned by writing the book and, and talking to people around the country uh, is that there are companies, corporations, that are doing a very good job of securing their networks. Uh, What makes them different is that they're spending to do it. And the Congress won't spend appropriately to secure government networks. And it also tries to make every government agency run its own network and secure its own network. Mm -hmm. So we have these ridiculous situations like the personnel office uh, defending itself against the Chinese People's Liberation Army. (laughs) <laughs> and in the process, of course, losing two million top-secret clearance records, including uh, all the details of my life since the time I was born. They probably know more about me now in Beijing uh, than I do. <laughs> what about the military side, then? Then, Because that's a part uh, the, of the of the government that is obviously extremely critical moving forward. You have a lot of, uh, of military pieces that are reliant on cyber. Uh, yet, if you have a government that is not spending the way that it should, should we be concerned about where the military is right now? Yes and no. Uh, the, the military uh, likes to spend money on the offense. Yeah. Uh, and Congress likes to give them money for the offense. So we, we have a, a very good um, offensive capability. Uh, building on the work of the intelligence community, uh, building on the work of NSA in, in particular. Uh, we now have something called the U.S. Cyber Command. It's 10 years old. Uh, it's a military organization. It has recently been authorized to do offensive operations, and it's been doing them against Russia uh, and Iran uh, that we know of. They're not very good uh, at defense, uh, and nor are the companies, the big corporations that make our weapon systems. Right. So we have lots of very expensive, uh, overpriced weapon systems that may not work when the time comes uh, because they, they are hackable. 
That's not me saying this. It's the Defense Science Board, the Pentagon's own agency. Uh, it's the Government Accountability Office. Mm-hmm. Long right. lists of weapon systems from ships to uh, airplanes to missiles uh, where they just didn't do a good job of designing security in. And the enemy, the likely enemy, and the next time we go to war, whether it's Iran, North Korea, China, or Russia, they all have very good offensive capability. Uh, and they're all thinking very hard about how to get into our weapon systems. But is, is, is that part of the reason why there seems to be this concern about uh, when you have government contractors, you have, you're bringing in third parties, obviously they're supplying material, but uh, they're, they're, they're another link that can be hacked in the process. Well, the Pentagon has, has recently begun focusing seriously on their supply chain. Their supply chain consists not only of the big companies like Lockheed and Boeing and Raytheon, uh, that integrate the weapon systems and turn the weapon systems over for use, but hundreds, if not thousands, of companies in the supply chain for every weapon system. Right. Uh, second order, third order. Uh, and, you know, some of the third order stuff ends up having been made in China. Yeah. Then they've got all the civilian infrastructure on which they depend. They depend on the electrical power grid, on the gas pipelines, on the commercial seaports, just as we do uh, in the civilian economy. Uh, And all of that stuff, according, again, to the government, is hackable. The head of U.S. uh, national intelligence, Dan Coats, said a few months ago in public testimony to the Congress that the Russians uh, can hack into the controls of our power grid. The Chinese can hack into the controls of our uh, gas pipeline system. The Pentagon, as well as our civilian economy, depends on those things. But how much, then, do we have the capability to do the same things against those entities? Well, as we say in the book, we probably do. Uh, But let's imagine the future scenario uh, where... Uh, an enemy state has turned out the electricity and destroyed the transformers yeah. uh, and the generators, so you can't just flip the power back on. It's the middle of winter. Uh, your The food shelves in your local uh, supermarket are empty. The ATMs aren't working, uh, and you've run out of paper currency, and, and, and of course, the credit card uh, machines aren't working. Uh, so there's no way you can buy food even if there were food, but there is no food because everything is not working because the power is out. And the president comes on the radio and says, but don't worry, uh, we did, just did that to Moscow. Yeah. What we say in the book is, you know, I don't know how that's going to make you feel, uh, but at least in Moscow they have a lot of vodka. <laughs> We're joined by Richard Clark, who is uh, co-author of the book The Fifth Domain. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. So then with the advent of 5G technology, how do many of these issues become, I think, even more ramped up. So, you know, we say in the book we have reached a moment where existing technology allows a lot of American corporations uh, to defend themselves successfully. They're the dogs that don't bark. You know, you hear about the Yahoo's, the Targets, the Equifaxes, the Marriott's. But then there's a long list of companies you don't hear about, and the reason is they're being successful. Uh, But that's a moment in time. At this moment in time, there is technology that you can use to defend yourself. But technology is always moving, and the moment in time is fleeting. And so we have three chapters in the book, one about 5G uh, and the Internet of Things, one about machine learning, and one about quantum computing. And we're looking at where the technology is going to be in three years. To answer your specific question on 5G, uh, 5G was rushed to market, we think, um, without adequate uh, concern about security. 
the, the professional staff at the Federal Communications Commission asked 134 questions yeah. uh, about 5G security. The answers weren't too encouraging from the vendors. Yeah. But the commissioners themselves refused to regulate 5G for security. Uh, and the commissioners also refused to regulate the Internet for security because they don't think they they should be able to regulate the Internet. They claim they don't have the legal authority, whereas <laughs> I think most, most of us realize they do. Uh, or if they wanted it uh, more explicitly, they could get it more explicitly. Yeah. Uh, the problem with 5G is it empowers the Internet of Things. Yep. And uh, many of the devices, if not most of the devices, that will be connected on the Internet of Things uh, don't have security functionality. They were not designed with that in mind. And you can't even, for many of those devices, you can't even retrofit security into them. The chipsets, the firmware are too small uh, to put in authentication um, to put in antivirus or endpoint uh, detection and remediation. Uh, so you're going to have to ar- re-architect the network. That includes things like hospitals, where yep. heart-lung machines, IV drip machines, all sorts of things that preserve life uh, are hackable, and, and people have proved that over and over again. Uh, so hospitals are now trying to think of, well, how do we protect these devices uh, that we're hooking up to the Internet of Things. And I would imagine that because of the cost of trying to retrofit or make those changes, these companies are probably not willing to because it's going to cut into their bottom line and their profit. That's absolutely right. Uh, with regard to many of the companies, uh, they buy these devices and last they expect them to last for 25 years, yeah. uh, and they're not about to replace them. So they have to architect around uh, the Internet of Things. Uh, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, you know, for years said, oh, once a device is certified, you can't change it in any way. Uh, so the comedy that that created uh, was that many devices were unpatched uh, Windows 98 operating systems. <laughs> uh, and you know, Boy, that's a blast to the past right well, there. There's also a million ways to, to hack into them, right? Yeah, yeah. So finally, in the recent months, actually, uh, the Food and Drug Administration has come around and said, oh, no, 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 we didn't mean that. What we mean is that all devices on the Internet or Internet-connected or network-connected have to be securable. Right. And you can change things to do that. So we're making some progress. But that means you're also going to have to have a significant mindset change by the people that are making these decisions in order to be able to take those next steps forward. Right. And even big hospitals. We're, we're you know, a block from an enormous hospital here at yep. the University of Pennsylvania. Uh even big hospitals don't spend much on cybersecurity, and they don't have chief information security officers who have big budgets. And going back to you know our major conclusion in the book, you can defend yourself today. Uh, major corporations are the way they're doing that is they're spending, uh, and they and they they have a governance system where the issue isn't buried. Uh, the CISO, the Chief Information Security Officer, she's not buried somewhere in the bureaucracy. She can report to the CEO. She can report to the board. There's a member of the corporate board who understands this stuff. Yeah. That's the model in good companies. And the, that results in, that governance model results in people spending on the order of 8 or 10% of their IT budget every year on security. For J.P. Morgan... That means $700 million a year, yeah. every year, yeah. year after year. Uh, for Bank of America, it's over a billion dollars a year spent on IT security. 
If you're not spending at 8 or 10% of your IT budget, you're going to be hacked. All right. It's one thing to, to lay that all out for companies. But what about for the average consumer? Because if the Internet of Things is you know, potentially hackable in many cases, you're talking about many people that either A, don't think about it, or B, don't even have the money to be able to do the protection that needs to be put into place. Well, no, the individual has a whole different problem. And so there's a whole section in the book on how to protect yourself as an individual. Um, basically, you outsource it, which is also <laughs> what you do if you're a small or medium-sized company. Sure, yeah. Uh, you have a managed security provider. Uh, for example, uh, let's just take on the individual level. Uh, most human beings in the United States who are online uh, have somewhere on the order of 28 on average, 28 different passwords that they use with some regularity. I know that sounds like a lot, but if you just sit down and and list all the passwords that you have, um, also then burn that piece of paper. Um, (laughs) If if you list them all, you'll find you probably have two dozen. And what you will find normally uh, is that half of them are the same. Uh, You're using the same password over and over and over again. So the password you used for your Marriott account, um, oh, by the way, that just got hacked. Whoever hacked it knows your password for that. They're going to try that password on your email, on your bank, and most of the time it'll work. So the big recommendation, and people say, what's your number one recommendation for personal security? Get an application called a password manager. Yeah, you know there are, there are three or four good ones. Yep. Uh, I'm not going to advertise for them, but I you know I use one. Um, they will generate passwords for you that are really hard to remember, uh, but you don't have to remember them. They're also really hard to hack. The reason you don't have to remember them is the application will enter your password automatically, automatically, yep. and it will do it across all your devices. Yeah. Uh, so your laptop and and your uh, iPhone and everything will all know these passwords. They'll enter them automatically. They'll be really hard uh, for anybody to guess. Uh, there's only one problem. You have to remember one password, and that's the password for the password application. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that simplifies it just a, just a little bit. We're joined here in studio by Richard Clark, who is uh, one of the authors of the book, The Fifth Domain, Defending Our Country, Our Companies, and Ourselves in the Age of Cyber Threats. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. So with all of this te- technological advance, and going back to something you, you touched on uh, a couple of minutes ago, the, the importance of something like the electric grid... The importance of something like gas pipelines, natural gas pipelines, regular gas pipelines, all of those. We have advanced so far by being able to get electricity better and, and quicker to, to our to our people. We've been able to move gasoline and natural gas in a quicker fashion. Yet at the same time, we have potentially opened the door for more of these problems moving forward. Well, only because when we designed these systems... Uh, the Internet wasn't around, uh, yeah. to be frank. Uh, and when the Internet was connected to these corporations, they didn't realize uh, that people could hack their way from you know, their bill-paying website right. uh, into the corporate net and from the corporate net uh, into the control system, um, the SCADA system, or the uh, ICS. Um, th- for years, the electric power people were in denial that that was possible. 
And when I was in government, we used to get teams from the Department of Energy to go prove it was possible by, with the permission of the electric power companies, hacking them and, yeah. and, and showing, oh, look, we're now in the control room. Yeah. Um, people thought this was theoretical. Uh, we conducted an experiment in Idaho uh, where we blew up a generator uh, by hacking into it. Okay. Um, well, you have to convince people. Yeah. Uh, now people, I think, are, are persuaded because the Russians uh, hacked their way into the Ukrainian power grid twice yeah, yeah. Uh, and shut off the power. They could have, given the, uh, their access that they achieved, they could have blown up transformers and generators. And by the way, transformers and generators do not live in warehouses waiting to be used. They're just in time built. And it makes you even wonder about some of uh, of the... Uh, countries, uh, let's think about like the island of Puerto Rico that went through the massive electric uh, uh, problems that they had after the hurricane a year or so ago. Uh, third world countries that where electricity is just building up. Even a country like India, which is still trying to build out electricity to all of its people. You're talking about a significant impact that is potentially out there. If you're building an electric power grid from scratch now, not that there are many people doing that, but if you are doing that now, you can build in security. You can design the system, architect the system, put in the right modules uh, for cybersecurity. It's hard to do that with a 100-year-old system, right? which is what we have. We're joined by Richard Clark, uh, co-author of the book, The Fifth Domain. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. So then what do you see as the most pressing needs that either the government needs to do or maybe there's even a, a, a way to combine with with companies to be able to work to improve the security that we, we need to have moving forward? Well, I think corporations need to look at their governance model, uh, get their governance model right, raise this issue up to the board, uh, to a senior committee of the corporation, spend appropriately, um, because, frankly, it's, it's pay me now or pay me later. Right. Uh, and uh, the reputational damage, the damage to uh, R&D, intellectual property information, uh, would be huge if a corporation's hit. Uh, so at the corporate level, I think the, the path is clear. The technologies are there. You can buy them. You can integrate them. You can be secure. The government, the government has to recognize it, too, has to spend more. It has to outsource uh, this stuff to one organization within the government on the civilian side of the government. Uh, and it has to also regulate in a sensible way. Not 20 different regulatory regimes confusing everybody. Right. Not state regulation built on top of 20 federal regulations. But one easy to understand, modern, light touch, if possible, uh, regulatory regime. Uh, and then at the personal level, you know, we all have to be very careful about clicking anything that's attached to <laughs> yeah. an email. Yeah. Um, don't click uh, on an attachment. Don't click on a link. Uh, just, you know, don't ever do it. So what's your view then uh, of something that, like GDPR in, in Europe and, and the impact it may be having right now and whether or not we are going to see something similar here in the United States in the years to come? We are. Uh, you know, Ideally, we'd like to create a group of like-minded nations on a global basis right. that had a, one single set of regulations because it's very it, – look, major corporations are global corporations. The, they can't be worrying about one set of regulations in India, one in Japan, one in the United States, one in Europe. Uh, we should try really hard 
uh, to align our regulations on privacy and security on a, on a global basis among like-minded nations. Now, we have a chapter in the book that, that outlines this and says you really should try it with potential partners, like-minded nations. Yeah. Don't start out trying to get China and Russia, Iran and North Korea in the yeah. club. Yeah. Create the club. Create the rules. We did this, by the way, for money laundering uh, when I was in the White House. Uh, we created something called the Financial Action Task Force. And the first thing we did, we got a very small number of nations together. The first thing we did was we all agreed on the rules for banking sure. and financial uh, matters with regard to money laundering. And then we said, here's a model law. We all passed it. And we all started enforcing it. Then we went out to a broader membership group and said, would you like to be part of this? Because there are some advantages for your financial institutions if your country is part of it. Right. And eventually, there are going to be some real disadvantages if you're not. And then people came on, and they agreed to the rules. We propose in the book doing the same thing for cybersecurity. So something similar maybe to what TPP was going to be, you know, to be able to get a group of countries together – have the the mindset around trade being one thing, and then saying to China, "Hey, listen, look what we have here. If you can do A, B, and C, then you should you should come in. And if you don't, uh, it's going to be more difficult for you. Right? There have to be both incentives and dis- disincentives. But before any of that can happen, you need a small group of nations to agree on international norms of behavior, right? Uh, and confidence building measures and risk reduction measures, basically." Arms control and law enforcement cooperation. But how do you do that with countries like China and Russia and Iran, where I think we have the expectation that it would be an incredible turn to be able to see those countries actually kind of being involved in a group of nations like that where cyber is concerned? When I graduated Penn, I went to work in the Pentagon, uh, and I worked on nuclear arms control. And then I went to work at the State Department and worked on nuclear arms control, chemical arms control, biological arms control. Uh, We were negotiating with the Soviet Union uh, when we called it the evil empire. We were negotiating with them on arms control, confidence-building measures, rules of the road, risk reduction measures, at the very height of the Cold War when they were the enemy. We ought to be able to do that today with Russia, China, Iran, even, even maybe someday North Korea. But first, we and our allies need to agree. And the president, of course, has shut down uh, all of this. Yeah. He's uh, eliminated the position I had as cyber czar uh, in the government. He's taken the people who were working on international arms control and norms for cyberspace in the State Department, uh, fired some of them, demoted others. Uh, so, you know, it's, this administration is all about uh, offensive activity, which is fine in the right circumstances. But you have to have uh, an arms control uh, and a risk reduction process, and an international norms process at the same time. Great having you here on campus. Welcome back to Penn. Great to be here. Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. Richard Clark, the book is titled The Fifth Domain, Defending Our Country, Our Companies, and Ourselves in the Age of Cyber Threats. The uh, book is available in bookstores and online for your purchase at your convenience. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.